We now come to our second lecture uh, this Saturday morning on God's law and the family. There are many passages in the word of God which speak to the family being under God's law. I'd like to start off by reading to you one or two verses from Genesis and chapter 18. Genesis and chapter 18 beginning at verse 17 Genesis 18 verse 17 and the Lord said shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him for I know Abraham that he will command his children and his household after him and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which God hath spoken about him. Now, that's a remarkable passage and uh, you'll notice that God addresses himself first to Abraham as a man who is personally dedicated to the Lord. I know Abraham, says God. Should I ever hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Then God indicates that Abraham will become a great nation and that all of the nations of the earth should be blessed in him. And then we're given the method uh, according to which the personally devoted Abraham will finally become a nationally devoted country and indeed an internationally blessed world. The method stated in verse 19 is by way of Abraham commanding his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. In other words, Christ who is our personal saviour will ultimately become the nation's saviour and the saviour of the entire world internationally by those of us who know Christ as our personal saviour having family worship teaching our children and as that then uh, rings outwardly throughout the society it will ultimately bring the nation and finally all nations in the world into subjection to God now you'll notice what it was that Abraham was teaching his family he will command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord this way of the Lord Derek Yaver in the Hebrew literally means the Ten Commandments the Ten Commandments are frequently called the way of the Lord in Scripture so what Abraham is teaching his household is the Ten Commandments for the purpose Genesis 18 verse 19 of them doing justice and judgment in other words applying the Ten Commandments having been taught by Abraham his family his household was to apply the Ten Commandments in the realm of uh, civil justice and judgments in other words uh, objectively applying the Ten Commandments at their place of employment uh, in the political structure of the country getting new statutes or acts of parliament enacted so as to bring the entire community more and more into submission to the God of the law and the law of God now you notice if you turn next to the history of Isaac the son of Abraham that this was already happening in Genesis chapter 26 and verse 4 God says to Isaac I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven and I will give unto thy seed all these countries and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because that Abraham thy father obeyed my voice and kept my charge my commandments my statutes and my laws you see, it's because Abraham kept the law of God 
the statutes of God and taught Isaac and Abram's other children to do the same but Isaac having been raised in the way of God in the way of a covenant having been raised under the uh, the covenant of the triune God we would say today having been baptized in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit as a baptized covenant family and having had the principles of the God of their baptism the laws of the God of their baptism inculcated into each one of them that Isaac the child is blessed and his children unto thousands of generations of those that love God and who keep his commandment as long of course as the covenant is not broken so as we are faithful in having family worship in our homes and in teaching the law of God uh, and the application of the law of God to our children as the way in which they are to show God that they really do love him and are not just saying so with their lips but their whole lives are reflecting it and as they then when they grow up and start their homes teach their children that and as their children are well taught by our children so that our grandchildren and great-grandchildren teach their children the same thing and even deeper things because I believe with David that we should want our children to be smarter than we are and our children's children to be smarter than our children are so we say with David I have more understanding than all of my teachers so that in each new generation as we get more and more time for family worship and study of the Bible with the advance of science and the multiplication of labor-saving devices giving us more time for Bible studies so should we expect uh, each generation of Calvinists to become more godly than the last provided of course no generation uh, merely pays lip service to these great truths uh, or serves God with a, whole, with a cold heart and becomes negligent in personal devotions and family devotions in which case the covenant is broken and the wrath of God against covenant breakers comes on our descendants rather than the blessing of God which is promised to them if they keep the covenant we're now in a position to understand properly or uh, to some extent with adequacy Deuteronomy chapter 6 Deuteronomy chapter 6 and beginning <clears throat> at uh, verse 6 verse 4 at least you know in Deuteronomy chapter 5 Moses has just again repeated the Ten Commandments some 40 years after it was revealed on Mount Sinai and having repeated the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5 in Deuteronomy 6 Moses goes on to say this to the approximately two and a half million people to whose leaders he is speaking for them to take what Moses is saying back to their tribes to the heads of each family and for this to be communicated to each family throughout the whole commonwealth of Israel Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 hear O Israel the Lord our God is one God that of course is effectively the first commandment thou shalt have no other gods before me because God is one God he's the one and only God the only God that there is therefore Deuteronomy 6 5 thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy soul uh, with all thy heart with all thy soul and with all thy might you remember Jesus quotes this text in the New Testament as Jesus' summary of all ten commandments so please notice this loving God with all of our heart mind and soul is not instead of the ten commandments no it is a summary of the ten commandments when trying to keep the Ten Commandments you must do so not in a dead unloving way but precisely because you love God with all your heart mind and soul but then conversely when you uh, try to love God with all your heart mind and soul the way in which you do it is by lovingly keeping his commandments you see and then it goes on to say verse 6 Deuteronomy 6 6 and these words which I command thee this day and that of course is the Ten Commandments that have just been commanded in the previous chapter these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart personal devotions and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children family devotions 
which takes us into our present subject, God's law and the family. Now notice what is to be done in family worship. Deuteronomy 6 verse 7. Thou shalt teach them, that is the Ten Commandments, diligently unto thy children. First of all, note the persistence with which we must teach our children. God's word says diligently. And that means persistently, day in, day out, in season, out of season, never missing a day, constantly, the whole time, patiently, effectively, and persuasively. I'll repeat that. Teaching the commandments to our children diligently, I say, means teaching them these things persistently, constantly, patiently, effectively, and persuasively. And of course we should be working at it more and more at methods of improving our persistence, our constancy, our patience, our effectiveness, and our persuasiveness as we diligently keep on teaching the commandments to our children. Second, take a look at this word teach. Thou shalt teach them the Ten Commandments to thy children. Teach them. Now, it's an interesting word. It's not the word lamad in Hebrew, the normal word for teach. It is the word latash. Uh, and latash in Hebrew means to whet or to sharpen. If you have a blunt knife, it means to put the blade of the knife against a grindstone and turn the grindstone, which is a laborious, slow, constant process, and that by doing this, gradually, the blunt edge of the knife becomes razor sharp. That's the way in which we should teach our children. Slowly, laboriously, gradually, day in, day out, until the blunt heart of our children becomes as sharp as a razor edge for the Lord. Uh, this word, latash, here translated learn, and probably you might have a Bible giving the marginal reading of wet, W-H-E-T. Uh, it was also what a blacksmith does when he sharpens spears and arrows. In other words, belts it with a hammer, uh, flattens it out, uh, molding that somewhat malleable metal into the best possible shape and then filing off the edges. You see then that quite a lot of skill is needed in the way in which we teach our children. It's not throwing the book at them, as we, as we would say. It is skillfully filing them, observing them, and working with them very, very patiently. And that's why it's so important to have family worship each day. Because unless you keep turning the grindstone when you are trying to give a razor's edge to a carving knife, let us say, you're not going to get the bluntness off the, the knife. And that's why it is quite useless merely to dump one's children in a Sunday school once a week and not to instruct them during the week. Um, quite useless. What we must do, in addition to the Sunday school, provided, of course, the Sunday school doesn't take place at the same time as the worship service, thereby removing our children in an ungodly and thoughtless way, and removing the, the adult Sunday school teachers, too, from the worship service where they need to be. In addition to Sunday school, which needs to take place at a time other than the worship service time, we must constantly grind the principles of God's holy law into our children each day. Still better, twice a day, in the morning, right before or right after breakfast. I think after breakfast is better than the tummies don't rumble while during the family worship. Uh, and then at night, after supper. And I would suggest before one starts washing up the dishes. Uh, so, we need to whet and to sharpen these principles diligently, persistently, constantly, patiently into our children. Next notice in this verse the little word thy. Thou shalt teach them, the Ten Commandments, diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. 
verse 9, and thou shalt write them, the Ten Commandments, upon the posts of thy house. This is made very personal. In other words, unless you are teaching your very own children, those who have proceeded from your loins, you're really not doing much for the kingdom by being a Sunday school teacher of other people's children. That's the implication. There are people who honestly are neglecting the education of their own children and spending a great deal of time as Sunday school teachers teaching other people's children. And I want for us to see from this verse that that is not pleasing to God. The children that you should be teaching and that I should be teaching more than any other children we should be teaching are our own children. And I'd go as far as to say even if you are a professional day school teacher or in my case a professional theologian that teaches theological candidates uh, several days per week. If you and I are not teaching our own children that came forth from our loins more about the statutes of God than we are teaching these other people uh, given to our care, there is something wrong in uh, our priorities. Of course it may well be that by virtue of our profession, if we be professional teachers, that we have other people's children given uh, to be taught by us for longer periods each day than is even the case in respect of our own children. In all other professions this will not of course be the case. But even there, I still think that a professional teacher such as myself needs to see it as being far more uh, his religious duty to instruct his own children than as a professional teacher to instruct other people's children. If we fail to instruct our own children, we have failed, full stop, no matter how much success we may have in teaching other people's children. Charity begins at home. The Word of God says, if a man uh, neglects his own wife and family, he is worse than an infidel, worse than an unbeliever. And so we need to set a very high priority on our instruction of our wives and our children at home. Now, the next thing we need to notice is the times at which and the manner in which this instruction of our children in the family context is to take place. The middle of Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 7 says, Thou shalt talk about them about the Ten Commandments when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up first it says thou shalt talk about these commandments when thou sittest in thy house whenever we're sitting in our house even when it's not during times of family worship if the opportunity occurs and uh, the time is appropriate, we should instruct our children about the law of God when we're sitting down just as a family and having a chat. But particularly when we sit down in our house, for stated times of family worship do we need to do this. And as I've said before, I believe that there are particularly two times of the day when we need to sit down as a family for the specific purpose of receiving instruction in the law of God. And those two specific times, which I'll deal with later, are mentioned at the end of verse 7, when thou liest down, in other words, at night before you go to bed, and when thou risest up, in other words, in the morning, right before breakfast or right after breakfast, but certainly before you any of you start your daily tasks for the Lord, your full-time daily tasks. Notice further, though, that one is to teach one's children the law of God not just when thou sittest in thine house twice a day. Uh, that isn't sufficient, though that is centrally important. Uh, but in addition to that, we are also to teach our children when thou walkest by the way, that means when you are traveling along the road, along the wayside. Well then, that would mean, would it not, that when we are commuting to work with certain members of the family in our car, then too uh, we should uh, utilize the time 
to instruct our children in the ways of the Lord. Certainly when we go away as a family on vacation, in a car, or in an aeroplane, or uh, by ship, or the train, that we should use that time as an object lesson to see the wonderful things of God in creation and in culture, the work of man's hands, and point these things out to our children and bring it into relation to the law of God. And then also, we should instruct our children, we are told, when thou liest down, that is evening worship, before we go to bed, and when thou risest up first thing in the morning. It may be a good idea to have the evening worship right after supper, rather than a couple of hours later, before we go to bed, because most members of the family are home for supper, but some of them clear out after supper and go out for the evening. Um, so uh, we do need to see that the going out in the evening is never allowed to interfere with the evening family worship. And I think the best way to take care of that is to have the evening worship right after supper before anyone takes off. And then, when thou risest up, well, you've got to get everyone up, and if it's anything like our family, people tend to want to get up at different times. I'm usually up at 5 or 5.30. My wife's up at 6.30. My uh, elder daughter uh, finally turfed out of bed at about 7. The younger daughter at about 10 minutes past 7. And, uh, and then they're still waking up, and I've done two hours' work before then. Um, and my girls are very good at night. They go on with their homework much later than their dad goes on with his theology. Um, but then everyone's finally wide awake, and, of course, with their tummy rumbling, I think it's a good thing for them to go to breakfast first. And then right after breakfast, what we do in our family, we go downstairs to a special room. Those of you who are going to Brisbane soon, visit my wife, ask to see the prayer room. It's quite interesting. Uh, what it is, it's a corner of the rumpus room downstairs, and we've got piles of Bibles and hymn books there, and an organ, and Westminster catechisms, and all kinds of things there. And everyone knows this is our place of family prayer to which we go. And we very rarely pray as a family in any other part of the house than that part. So that's what it's set aside for. And then, in our case, and I'm not telling you this to say that this is the way you must do it in your family. Obviously, if you have a bigger or a smaller family than me, you'll have to do it differently. And depending on what time each one of you has to be at work too, and how far you live from your work. But what we do in our family about... Oh, 25 minutes past seven. We're all downstairs as a family, and um, I sit down behind the organ, and I open the psalm book, and I play a psalm verse through once, and then we all sing a psalm. Now, we don't have too much time in the morning, because, so we don't sing the whole psalm, but we generally sing about three verses of the psalm, usually the first, second, and the last verse of the psalm. And... Um, Oh, that takes us a couple of minutes just to sing the psalm. And then we open God's holy word. And we each read. <clears throat> I read first. And then my wife reads the second verse. And then my elder daughter reads the third verse. My younger daughter reads the fourth verse. And that's all we read. Four verses in the morning because there's four in our family. Now and then I shuffle the order to wake the others up. So the little one's thinking, oh, well, she's not going to be asked to get round to the fourth verse. <laughs> May I ask her first? That keeps her on her toes. <coughs> so we each read one verse, and we go through the Bible seriatim. That is to say, we started in Genesis 1, verse 1, right after the birth of our first child. Uh, even when our first child couldn't understand it, we asked her to read a, a passage, and she'd take the Bible and sometimes say la la now and then tear part of the page out of the Bible would have to glue it back but I believe that's the way to do it and so at a very very early age our children who had been involved in the family worship and who quietened down real quick much quicker than most other children do were actually beginning to read bits and pieces of the words in each line and so at an early age they became capable of reading and I may say that this practice at home made them high above the average in reading skills when they finally got to school. <laughs> so it's a good way to make your children literate. 
before they go to school. The school today, sadly, generally makes your children illiterate, you understand. So, therefore, particularly, <laughs> you need to make them literate before they get to school. Uh, I'm being a little facetious, but I'm afraid there's more than a grain of truth in what I've just said. Well, then, um, each one of us has read this, and as I said, after the birth of the first child, we started just four verses at a time, well, three at a time when the first one came along, one verse for each member of the family, from the book of Genesis. And um, now we've actually progressed as far as uh, the book of Judges. We just finished the book of Judges the very day before I left for Brisbane. And while I'm gone, uh, here in New Zealand, my wife will be doing something else while I'm away. And when I get back, we'll start in the book of Ruth which we've never read together as a family. Thus far we've done in detail, in exhaustive detail, Genesis, Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, uh, Deuteronomy, and also Job, um, and uh, portions of Chronicles, because we've tried to read it in chronological order. Assuming, of course, that Job describes a condition on earth approximately contemporaneous with Abraham so that's why we did Job at that point so much for the morning worship and then after each person has read one verse I as the head of the family asked each person now what did you learn today and they all know they're going to be asked that question by me everyone has got to say what they learned and woe betide them if they didn't learn anything so they're listening while they are reading the verse and they're listening while they hear another member of the family read his or her verse, you see, uh, because they know they're going to be examined. What did you learn? Every day they've got to learn something new. Every day I've got to learn something new. And that's hard for me as a professional theologian to learn something new each day. But it keeps us on our toes. So we each tell one another what we've learned. And sometimes this leads to a bit of a discussion which we cannot elongate in the morning because we've all got to go to work and to school. And then we get down on our knees together after that and one of us will pray. And I will often pray myself or I'll ask my wife to pray for the, all of us or I'll ask one of the girls to pray for all of us but just have one of us pray for the family. That's it. We then immediately get into the car and I take the kids to school and drop them off and continue to work. In the evening we have the same process except in the evening we do not sing psalms, we sing hymns and such psalms as are in the hymnal. We use the Covenanter Church of North America's psalm book in the morning, which I think is the best uh, psalter uh, on the market today, uh, very clearly superior, if you don't mind my saying it, to the Christian Reformed Church of the United States psalter, which you are using, which is incomplete, and which does not have many portions of many psalms. The Covenanter book is great, and the merit of the Covenanter book is it's not written in archaic English. The English is modern. All of the tunes just about are well-known hymn tunes, but it's set to the Psalms. Well, that's on our morning diet. <clears throat> in the evening, we use the uh, Trinity hymnal of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, and uh, there too we sing the hymns in order. I may say in the, in the Psalms we sing in the morning if we do Psalm 49 today we'll do Psalm 50 tomorrow and Psalm 51 the next day and so too with the hymns that we sing in the evening and then after that we read a portion of the New Testament because I really don't want my children to become more rooted in the Old Testament than they must become rooted in the New Testament although I must point out that inasmuch as the Old Testament is 80% of the Word of God uh, we really perhaps should have four sermons from the Old Testament for every one from the New, but most churches I attend today rarely have ever preached from the Old Testament at all, which shows how unbalanced and perverted and twisted they are. But at any rate, in our home, we have the Old Testament and the Psalms singing in the morning, the New Testament and hymns singing at night. And there, too, we go through the Bible in uh, chronological order. Now, the Old Testament being four times longer than the New, you can imagine, seeing we started this with the birth of the girls, even though we're only doing four verses each night, 
uh, we've gone through the New Testament several times already and we haven't yet gone all that far through the Old Testament yet so I'm considering abandoning the New Testament reading at evening because my girls are growing up they're 14 and 11 and before I know it they'll be married and we won't even have gone through to Malachi in this way and why go over the New Testament three or four times if they haven't even gone through all of the Old Testament once yet uh, so we may have to make some adjustments a little later at any rate, because we've got more time for the evening worship after supper, people are not in a hurry to rush off to work or whatever. Uh, I hope I'll still be able to say the same in a few years' time when my girls get a little older as teenagers. We'll have to see. Uh, we have a little extra time, and so in addition to adopting the same procedure in the evening with the New Testament as we did in the morning with the Old, we also usually ask uh, catechize the girls uh, read them a question from the catechism which they answer and we try to get them to memorize it but more important than memorizing it to understand it and I'll often simplify the words make it quite clear to them and then we go through that and that too doesn't take terribly long maybe 20 minutes at the most in the evening and then after that we just have a good time play table tennis or, or whatever and uh, um, we feel that, uh, that that has been a very satisfactory way of family worship in our home. Well, now, getting back to the Word of God after that attempt to nail it down practically. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, it says, Thou shalt talk about these things when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way when you're traveling. And I may say that when I walk down the way of the garden paths in the garden and we look at the flowers especially on a Sunday afternoon I'll try and relate the beauty of the flowers to the hand of God in creation explain this to my children or to my family perhaps I should also say that because Sunday is the Sabbath day and a special day we vary our family worship a little on Sunday uh, so when I get back in two weeks time uh, <coughs> We will be starting on the book of Ruth in the mornings. We'll just be finishing the book of Matthew for the second or third time in the evenings. But on Sunday, we do a completely different book. Why? Well, to impress the distinctness and the specialness of Sunday in contrast to the other six days into the minds of our children. We uh, spent almost the whole year of Sundays in Australia going through the book of Hosea Sunday morning worship and Sunday evening worship at home in addition to of course the um, uh, worship in the house of the Lord but we did feel lest we make Sunday too heavy a day of uh, exposure to the Bible for our children we would not sing at all at home on Sunday so we do not sing uh, Sunday mornings at all and our family worship on Sunday and we try to keep the devotions considerably shorter on Sunday morning why? well because they're going to get a big dose of it right after that in church uh, so we do things differently on Sunday and minimize the family worship on Sunday because that's the day on which we go to the church for worship now notice what it further says it says in verse 8 and thou shalt bind them and again the them is the Ten Commandments as a sign upon thy hand and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes now you may or may not know that the Hebrews have a leather belt which they call a tefillah uh, I'll pretend that this jersey is such a, a uh, leather belt and uh, in the middle of the leather belt there is a pad something like this book though much smaller and this pad is hollow and inside of that pad they place um, a folded up copy of the Ten Commandments and what they do you see when they pray both in their personal worship and in their family worship or I should say what the Hebrews used to do not too many of them still do it is to place that pad against their forehead stamp it on their forehead and then pray to God with 
holy hands lifted up and then wrap the ends of this belt around their hands like I am doing now and then pray to God and the idea was that the law of God was to be stamped into their foreheads and to be reminded of it uh, this is very interesting because it shows the extent to which the ancient Hebrews really did try to have that law of God molded into their very thought process and this is what it's referring to in uh, verse 8 where it says thou shalt bind these ten commandments as a sign upon thy hand wrapping the throng round one's hand and they the ten commandments shall be like frontlets between thine eyes that was the pad containing the folded up ten commandments that's pressed against the forehead but also thou shalt write the ten commandments upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates now you may have noticed in visiting Jewish friends particularly if they're orthodox Jews that as you go through any door in their house front door, back door, door into the lounge, door into the bedrooms they've got a little tin box about two or three inches long nailed or screwed diagonally on the doorpost have you noticed that? well next time you visit a Jewish friend who's an orthodox Jew ask him to show you, probably will and uh, many of them you can slide open some of them you can't and if you slide the top of it and take it out you'll see inside of that little uh, box that's on each doorpost of the house is a folded up copy of the Ten Commandments the idea is that every time every Hebrew inside his house went through the front door into the house he was to be reminded of the Ten Commandments went from the dining room where he had eaten to the glory of God in accordance with his law into the bedroom he would be reminded in walking into the bedroom that here too he must keep the Ten Commandments to God's glory and, and so too in going into the bathroom and wherever else you see the idea is whether you eat or whether you drink or whether you sleep or, or, or whether you sit down and talk or whatever you do at home you should do it all to the glory of God in accordance with the proper application of the Ten Commandments as the law of God this is a great idea the only problem is with most modern Jews that still have these things is they don't give it a moment's thought when they walk through the doors from one room to another and really uh, knowledgeable Christians are far more acquainted with the meaning of that than modern Orthodox Jews are who continue to do that for um, uh, superstitious reasons rather than through an intelligent understanding of it now I'm not saying that you and I should go and tack the Ten Commandments against every uh, doorpost in our home but I do think that we need to be aware of the extent to which the Ten Commandments is to govern our life it is a round the clock thing in every room of the house that we are in while we're in that room doing a different function in each room and also we're to be reminded of it again when we walk out of the front door on our way to work and it might be a good thing if we were reminded even while sitting in our office at work that we are to observe the law of God there by the way this will take one into Christian education when you go to school the school too should be under God's Ten Commandments and it's very difficult if the school is a socialistic humanistic state school uh, which has got no time for God or his Ten Commandments and indeed in many American schools where you can be prosecuted for even mentioning the name of God in the public school then of course the establishment of Christian private schools under the Ten Commandments becomes a very very crucial matter increasingly in today's modern world last you will notice in verse 9 thou shalt write these commandments upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates now the word gate there does not mean the gate at the bottom of your garden path uh, it means the city gates in the old times each uh, town was surrounded by a thick wall to keep out the enemies and wild animals and there was a hole in that wall at one point called the city gate and it was at the city gate 
which of course was furnished with two great big hulking uh, heavy wooden doors which you remember Samson ripped off the hinges of Gaza and took to the top of the hill and then dumped there it was in the gates or the hole in the wall that the parliament or the town council of that city met the godly woman in Proverbs 31 had a husband you remember who sits with the elders in the gates in the city gate in other words in the affairs the political affairs the municipal affairs of each community under God's law the commandments of God are to be upheld as the directive which will determine the political uh, development of that particular community well already I have overflowed the bounds of family worship but you see how one thing leads to another personal worship gets us primed up to have worship in the family context and when we do that we begin to understand something of the further application of God's world so that in the family worship situation our children are being raised in the principles of God and are being prepared to crusade as Christian soldiers for the Lord for the ongoing recognition of the Ten Commandments in the broader social circle and indeed the political circle into which they are to be introduced. I think this is an appropriate point for us to pause and to see if there's one or two questions before we take another break. With your family devotion, if you have visitors, they come for a meal with you, you take them down into your devotion time and they join them? I always do. I never force them to do it, but I explain to them now. We're delighted to have you here tonight. Every day after supper, we have our family devotions, and we are going to do that right now. We will not put off our family devotions just because we've got visitors, if only because the children need to be in bed at 9 o'clock. Um, we're going to have them now. You're welcome to come and share with it if you wish but if you don't we're going to be gone from this room for 20 minutes and you're going to have to amuse yourself until we get back uh, would you like to come well up till now all of our visitors said yes sure we'd like that very much of course I don't know to what extent uh, they say that <laughs> uh, just to guard against their embarrassment but we've never had any visitors at all object to that um, as far as the morning devotions are concerned when we have overnight visitors we usually let them sleep on we don't say hey time to get up and have family devotions with us what often happens though when they hear us singing the psalms they feel guilty and they drift down in their dressing gowns and uh, then of course they welcome and then if they ask from that point on the subsequent days to participate well then we'll yank them out of bed so we try not to force them to do it seeing their visitors but we do certainly tell them of it and we absolutely refuse to abandon our family practice just to accommodate ourselves to visitors that are not used to it in describing your family worship you didn't actually um, mention how you inculcate the ten commandments as such very good I meant to thank you very much <laughs> a lot I've left out but I'm happy to respond to that I believe that the Ten Commandments is the um, merest summary statement of all of the Ten Commandments in the Bible I'd like to share with you a statement from our larger catechism it's round about question one no question ninety something which uh, expresses the same thought question 98 where is the moral law summarily comprehended that means where in the scriptures will you find a very short summary of the moral law that all men are required to keep answer the moral law is summarily comprehended in the Ten Commandments which were delivered by the voice of God upon Mount Sinai etc but now 
the next question makes it clear that the moral law is not exhausted by that summary statement of the Ten Commandments. It goes on to say, for the right understanding of the Ten Commandments, these rules are to be observed. The law is perfect, the law is spiritual. Uh, one and the same thing is required and forbidden in several commandments. Where a duty is commanded, uh, six days shalt thou labor, a contrary sin is forbidden, thou shalt not live on the dole. Uh, what God forbids is at no time to be done what he commands is always our duty but under one sin or duty all of the same kind are forbidden or commanded that what is forbidden or commanded to ourselves we are bound according to our place to endeavor that it may be avoided or performed by others if I'm a Christian um, factory owner that observes the Sabbath the last thing on earth I should do is to keep that factory open on Sunday and cause my non-Christian employees to work on Sunday even if I'm not there. I should use what influence I have short of firing them or discriminating against them to encourage them to keep the Sabbath too. And then after that, as we saw the whole of this last week, um, each commandment is merely a summary statement but then when you look at it through the microscope a great hunk of the rest of the Bible uh, is involved in showing you what each commandment means as we hopefully saw each day therefore when in family worship uh, and this will centrally answer your question when we dealt with we just finished as I pointed out going through the book of Judges when we dealt with Jethro and the vow that Jethro made that uh, out of gratitude to God for giving him the victory in the battle uh, against the pagans when he got back home the very first thing that walked toward him he would sacrifice to the Lord and in horror of horrors <laughs> uh, it was his own daughter that walked towards him and then you remember they tried to get round the problem by his daughter making a lifelong vow of virginity that she would never get married in other words that Jethro's lineage would die out and would be brought as a sacrifice to God that he would remain childless after that we read that and it's exactly four verses that account and we spent uh, oh more than an hour we went into it again that night going into all of the ins and outs did De Jethro please God in making this vow did the words of the vow when he make it really please God was he a little careless in making this vow uh, when his daughter came toward him did he handle it right should he have burnt his daughter or was it in order for his daughter merely to offer herself as a living lifelong sacrifice of virginity and kill the lineage of Jethro in that way that she would be childless so we went into all of these aspects but more, most important of all and this answers your question we didn't do this to get to know as much about Jethro as possible but to get to know as much as possible what God would have us do in making our oaths to him today. Let us learn from Jethro's mistakes. Let us follow Jethro's dedication. And this is so important that uh, in teaching... Uh, yes, in teaching the story of... Uh, of Joshua marching with the armies of Israel around Jericho for seven days and then the walls falling down flat it's not enough for us to succeed in teaching our children the facts of that story and we must succeed in teaching them the facts too but the real reason why we are teaching them the facts of that story is so that they may learn to serve God uh, persistently seven days a week with that kind of dedication with that kind of expectation that God will rise up and bring down his enemies and that we as the saints of God will then go marching in and capture control of the world of its schools of its family of the circle of friends that my daughters have at school what? and I honestly believe that if we do succeed in teaching the stories of scripture as we must as object lessons of the way in which the Ten Commandments the law of God is to be whetted and inscribed into the hearts of our children then they see the relevance of it 
then it's not just a story about old Joshua or old Jeff, Jeff to 2,000, 3,000 years ago. No, no, this is God speaking to me today and challenging me today as to what I do in the fire brigade today as a result of what I now learn about what Joshua did 3,500 years ago. That's why uh, I said the law of God. And really, if you read the Bible from that perspective, you will find that every verse in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, in some or other way, reveals some or other aspect of God's Decalogue, which is really one law, not ten. One law, the sovereignty of God, the service of God with all of our heart and all that we do, in some or other way, and which needs concrete application by us, wherever God has put us today. All right, how would you like another three or four minute break? Good. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video, or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle is adopted by the papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.